Turn with me now to the book of Matthew, chapter 7. And I need to apologize because I misspoke last week regarding what I would be preaching this week. If, if, you were, uh, if you were here last week, I gave a preview of this week's sermon. Well, actually, it was the, a preview of the sermon the Sunday after Easter. And I apologize because some of you came up to me after the service and, and you told me that you were excited to hear the passage where Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I mean, this is a very rich passage. And I'm excited about preaching it. But in my excitement about preaching it, it has become a cause for my own embarrassment. Because I forgot about some important things Jesus said before these words about missing the kingdom of heaven. So, so if you're someone who was looking forward to better understanding what Jesus was teaching in that passage, um, I apologize. Hang on, it's coming and it's a great, it's a great message and, and something that, that you really want to understand. But you're going to have to wait two weeks, okay? Um, because I said that we were going to go verse by verse through the Sermon on the Mount. And if I, go, if I do that passage today, I'm going to have like skipped like eight verses that Jesus spoke. Now, that's not right, okay? So I'm embarrassed that I, I forgot stuff. So, so look, we're getting, we need to pick up, pick up where we left off last week. So Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 12. Jesus says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. You know, it may surprise some of you to learn that I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I mean, I, I was not raised to value God or follow Jesus. In fact, at one point when I was in high school, I was so distant from God that I considered myself an atheist. Now, now my family wasn't a bunch of heathens. Uh, we, we went to church on Christmas and Easter. I mean, you got to do that at least. But, but for the most part... God and the Bible played no significant role in our lives. And needless to say, I never read the Bible growing up. and never studied the Bible. But I knew these words of Jesus. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. I knew it as the golden rule. I mean, it was smart. It made sense. It seemed like a wise way to live life. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. My senior year in high school is when I became a Christian, and then I started going to church. That's when I started reading the Bible. And I was so surprised one weekend while studying the Bible with with a group of other teenagers that I discovered that Jesus was the smart person who made the golden rule. I mean, I had known this golden rule my whole life. I mean, I understood it, but I didn't know that Jesus spoke it. And so I'm sitting there, we're studying the Bible, I'm like, that's who said that? Is Jesus? I was just in shock. I thought this, I had no idea Jesus gave us the golden rule, a life principle so wise that even unbelievers like myself would subscribe to it. But, but today I, I want you to read it, not as a general wisdom 
for how to live life, but rather I want you to read the golden rule under the banner of being an effective leader for God. If I may remind you, the main point of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is how to have an empowered relationship with God that results in God using you for His purposes in this world where you would be salt and light. That God could use you that, that you would have such an empowered relationship with God that he would use you to make a difference in this world for good. That, that, that God would use you to bring out the good in this world, like salt brings out the flavor in food. That God could use you to preserve the things of, of, that are worth preserving in this world, like salt preserves. That God could use you to illuminate and energize this world the way that light illuminates and energizes. God desires to use you and I for his good purposes. And, and, and if God's going to use you in this world, it, it means that he's going to use you to lead in some form or fashion. You say, I can't be a leader. I'm too shy. I'm not talented enough. I, I, I'm not the best athlete or singer. I'm not handsome or pretty. I'm not aggressive. I, I just don't have what it takes to be a leader. Listen, you are wrong. You don't have to be outgoing and talented to be an effective leader. You don't even need a position or a title to be a leader. See, real leadership is ground up. It's organic. And it emanates from your relationship with God. Because because people don't follow titles and positions. They follow character. I remember working in youth ministry in Fort Worth, Texas. And... um, I had a young lady in my junior high ministry, and she had her own, she, was, she, she starred on a TV show on the WB channel. She was pretty. She was outgoing. I mean, she had extra provision in her life because she had, you know, the money that's given to a child TV star. And she, 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 she had confidence. She had all the things that you would think would make a leader on the outside. But when she tried to lead the other students, they wouldn't respond. It was, it was um, fascinating to me. I had another little girl in the youth ministry, little, little eighth grader. She was small. She was mousy. She was real quiet. She was shy. She wore glasses. Um... She was a late developer. She had none of the outward things that you would expect to be a leader. Yet when that little girl said, hey, come on, it's time to gather around and study the Bible together, the other students would respond. Do something. Because leadership doesn't come because you've been given a title or a position. It comes because people follow character. And that little girl, though she didn't have any of the things that make us be wild with them people followed her they didn't follow the other one real leadership happens organically not because you've got a title or position not because you're loud not because you're talented or, or aggressive every one of you has the potential to be a leader for god you just need to give god charge over your character look if you've been hired to a position of leadership and you're struggling to get people to respond to your lead, 
chances are the problem is not the people that you're trying to lead, but rather the problem lies in the depth of your character. And God could do something about that. So don't be discouraged. God can change your character and make you an effective leader if you will give him the freedom in your life to do so. Stop trying to control things and instead let God call the shots in your life and just watch what God will do in your life. So Matthew chapter 7, it's really a chapter about leadership. Jesus shows us what bad leadership is in verses 1 through 5. It's, it's bad leadership when you're judgmental, when you lead by powering down on people, setting yourself apart as being better than or, 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 or just uh, above others. If you're doing that, you're not being a good leader. You're being a judge. If you spend more time focusing on other people's problems and mistakes than you do your own, you will not be an effective leader. See, good leadership happens when you can be honest with God and honest with yourself and with others about your own faults and failings and mistakes. Then in verse 6, Jesus says, Do not give to dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs. See, Jesus teaches that, that it's bad leadership to invest your time and energy trying to lead people who aren't interested in change. They're not interested in getting better, and they're not interested in God. Look, you love those people. You pray for those people, but you invest your time in people who are open to change, people who are interested in God. Then in verses 7 through 11, this is all in chapter 7, Jesus teaches us that to be an effective leader for God, you must develop a deep reliance on God. Trust that God's got everything you need to flourish and lead, and that God's will is always good. You see, God knows you better than you know yourself. And God loves you more than you love yourself. And his will for your life is always going to be the best will for your life. Always. Look, I've, I've just known people that would fear God's will in their life, because they are afraid that God was going to send them someplace they didn't want to go. If I really give God control over my life, he's going to send me to Africa. Listen, God will only send you to Africa. He's not going to send somebody over there that's going to be an ineffective and, and, and a, a leader that doesn't want to be there. If he sends you there, he knows your heart better than you know it yourself. He knows that you're going to come alive, that, that his purposes are going, to, are going to fuel you and fill you, and that is going to be the most electric, the most meaningful, the most excited version of life for you. You don't need to fear God's will. God's will is always best for your life. But if you're going to be an effective leader for him, then you've got to understand he's got everything you need and that his will for you is always good. God will lead you through tough stuff for your good. And you can trust him in that. If you're to be an effective leader in this world for God, then you must learn to rely on God to provide for your needs and provide your direction. It's after this that Jesus gives us the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Think of this passage not as a general principle for life, not, and which is legitimate. But think of it as good teaching on leadership. How can you be an effective leader for God when you don't treat people the way you wish to be treated? You want, 
You want the people you're trying to lead to treat you with respect? You want the people you're trying to lead to tell you the truth? You want the people you're trying to lead to listen to you? If that's how you want them to respond to your leadership, then be the kind of leader that treats people with respect. Be the kind of leader that tells the truth and and doesn't keep secrets. Be the kind of leader who listens. Look, I've known husbands who wanted their wives to submit to their leadership but they, they would disrespect their wives they, and demean them. They would power down on them and demand that their wives follow. And consequently, they were constantly frustrated with their wives. They thought, they thought the problem was with their wife. The wife was being rebellious and ungodly. Look, if instead you would apply the teachings of Jesus and rather than by being a judge who is finding fault in your wife, if, if they would instead be a leader who looks in the mirror and can be honest with God and honest with others about what they see, about what's really there. It's from that honesty that that God would empower them to be a more effective leader in the home. Then Jesus says in verses 13 and 14, He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. You know, Jesus says of himself that he's the gate. John 10, 9, my translation says, I am the door. If anyone enters me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pastures. Some of your translations, it says he's the gate. Jesus is that narrow way. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, all other pathways in life ultimately lead to destruction. If, if you're counting on following the pathway of your own good deeds to get you into God's heaven, if you're counting on your own good deeds to save you, you are on the wide path that leads to destruction. If you're counting on your heritage, you grew up in the right kind of family, in the right kind of place, you're on that wide path. If you're counting on your relationship to a particular religion or to a particular church, you are on the wide path that leads to destruction. There is one way, and it's Jesus. It is a relationship to God through His Son, Jesus. But now that we got that established, I want to read this passage under the banner of being an effective leader. Look, if you're serious about God using you in your home, if you're serious about God using you in your school or on your team or in your place of business, if you're serious about being a a leader, Jesus reminds us that that, that the price for effective leadership is high. There is a way that is, it's easy. And there is a way that is hard. And if you're serious about making a positive impact on this world, then God says the way is hard. If your goal in life is to fit in to be a part of the crowd, to have it easy, to just be average, then, then all you've got to do is follow the pack. Be one of the dogs. Follow the pigs. Walk the wide and easy way. But if your ambition is to not be remembered as average, if your ambition is to leave a legacy, a, a spiritual legacy, an emotional and relational legacy for your kids and grandkids and the, and the people that you love and care about, then, then, then you need to know that there's a price for that. 
If that's what you want, then you need to know that you can't take the easy, wide road. You can't take the path that everyone else is taking. You're going to have to take the narrow and difficult way. Jesus said, it's enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Those who find it are few. What he says in verse 14. That the way of leadership is incredibly difficult. Look, if you're serious about making a difference for good in this world, if you're making a difference for good and for God, then you're going to have to go against the flow. And you need to be willing to go it alone. I love that old hymn. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. One of the verses says, Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back. If your ambition is to fit in and be accepted, then you can't be a leader because you're just being part of the crowd. You're nothing more than a dog following the pack, traveling the wide and easy road. The narrow way is hard. Being a leader is hard. Not only do you have to be willing to go it alone, but you also need to be willing to sacrifice. Look, there are some things that you're going to need to give up on the narrow way. There's also some things that you're going to need to embrace and pick up. The narrow way, the disciples' path, it's hard, but, but it leads to life. And if you can break out of the pack and follow Jesus, it will lead you not only to eternal life, but a vibrant and meaningful life now. Is it easy? No. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Look, this world that we lived in, it's so messed up. I mean, even the God deniers, they're going to admit that the world is headed in the wrong direction. You and I, we've got the Spirit of God in us. The Word of God to guide us. A forever family to, to be encouraged from and to receive grace from. To band together with. So why not break out of the pack and lead? The world really needs us to. Then in verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come into you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. See, ultimately in the end, your behavior is the proof of who you are. It's not what you say that proves your character, it's what you do. Are you the kind of person whose behavior produces good fruit? Look, as a church, we believe that the Bible teaches that salvation is not dependent upon what you do. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, salvation is not the result of what you do. You cannot save yourself. It's not the result of any work that you do. Only by the grace of God can you be saved. 
and you receive the salvation through faith. But we as a church, we also believe what the Bible says in the book of James. James 2.17 says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But these, these verses are not contradictory. They're both true. You're not saved by your works, but rather the grace of God, when it is real in your life, it makes a difference in how you live. When the grace of God is real in your life, it impacts how you live, how you act. Your behavior will be the proof of who you are. And people are going to judge you not by whether you said the right words. They're not going to judge you. Are you the real deal? Not by the words you speak, but by the truth of how you live your life. The truth is your behavior. And look, this is, this is true of you. It's true for others. He says, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. See, in this world, false prophets will come in and they're going to sound really good, but you're going to recognize them, not by what they say, but by what they do. Talk is cheap. Haven't you learned that? A false prophet, and we've got to also clear this up too. A false prophet isn't always a person. Sometimes it's a spirit. Sometimes it's a feeling. I mean, it could be a, a feeling or a spirit of fear telling you not to trust God. Come, be safe in the pack. There's safety in numbers. Don't go the narrow way. And a false prophet isn't always religious. We think false prophets are always religious. Giving out false religious teaching. But a false prophet can be extremely secular. Come away from the ways of God. You can make money if you do. If you'll just invest your life here rather than there, you can always come back to God later, but spend your time over here. Don't go the ways of God. You can come get over here. That's a false prophet. How do you recognize a false prophet? You recognize them by what they produce. Verse 17, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and is thrown on the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. See, your feeling of insecurity, it may be a false prophet in your life. Your ambition for success and money, that may be a false prophet in your life. Whether it be a person or a feeling, you recognize it as a false prophet by what it produces. I mean, does whatever feeling that you're having, does it motivate you toward God? Does it motivate you toward faithfulness? Does it motivate you toward um, walking in His ways? Or does that feeling motivate you away from it? And I've, I've seen this for the many years. Somebody has a feeling. I feel, like, I, I feel like somebody in the church doesn't like me. Well, what did they say? Well, they, they said they forgive me. I don't think they meant it. Well, what did they do? Well, they hugged me. But it, like, so I'm just going to leave. That feeling is not, sorry, that feeling's being a false prophet. Does whatever feeling you have motivate you toward the things of God or does it motivate you to move away? Does the person that you're encountering, do they move you do they invite you further into the things of God or do they make you feel comfortable to just stay where you are? 
Be a part of the crowd. And as you evaluate the fruit of a person's life, this does not mean that they're to be perfect. I mean, sometimes we rush to declare a person a false prophet because they made a mistake. When Jesus says they will bear good fruit, that does not mean that the fruit will be perfect. Look, a good apple tree will produce some apples that are really sweet, some apples that aren't as sweet. I'm told that the fruit that hangs on the lower branches tends to be sweeter than the ones that are on the higher branches. Does that mean that the tree is bad? Look, I'm enjoying blueberries right now. Some of them are just really sweet. And every now and then I get a bitter one. Does that mean that that blueberry bush was, was, was bad? No. You know, a banana can have a bruise. Peach can have a bruise. He's not teaching that you have to evaluate people and it's like, are they perfect? Because you know what? They, it might be just that they've had a bad day. A person can have a moment of selfishness, a moment of insecurity, a moment of pride, a moment of greed. Don't be so quick to call them a bad tree and a false prophet. It may just be that they've just had a bad day, not a bad life. Jesus is not teaching perfection here. What he is teaching is, though, that you get an orange from an orange tree. You get a peach from a peach tree. But if the overall product of a person's life is bad, then you'll know them by their fruit. But you know what else Jesus teaches us? He says, don't be overly involved in examining other people's lives. You need to first look in the mirror. What fruit are you and I producing? Galatians 5 talks about fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Read this passage though. Am I loving? Ask yourself that. Am I joyful? Am I a person of peace? Am I a person of patience? I'm not asking you, do you want to be that? If, if the people who were observing your life, would they define you as loving? Would they define you as patient? Would they define you as kind? Would they define you as gentle? It says the fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the opposite of that? It's being judgmental. It's being angry. Like, like the people who know you, would they define you as being loving? Are you the person that just irritated, easily offended? You, you come unglued quickly. And so when you speak the truth, people don't hear it. Because that truth passes through the filter of your life. And because you can't be loving, you can tell somebody what is right and what's in the Bible, but they won't hear it. Somebody else can come around and say the exact same thing, and they can hear it. You say, well, what's the difference? I said the same thing. Now, nah, but it sounds different when it comes from you. Because it came from you, not with a voice of love, but with a voice of anger. So the fruit of the Spirit is joy. When, when people come around you, are they... 
Do they have a reason to feel good? Do they have a reason to feel encouraged? Or are you the negative spirit? You always can find something wrong. Always can find a reason that there's a problem. All, you know, and you just got that negative spirit. So you try to encourage somebody. Yeah, I just can't hear that. Because it goes through the filter of your life. Somebody else can come say the same words. You could tell somebody, good job, they won't be encouraged. Somebody else could come tell them, good job, they can hear it. He says the, it's love, joy, and peace. You know what the opposite of peace, are, peace is? It's chaos. It's drama. Are you the kind of person that and when you come into the situation, you can help get things get worked out. You can help people come to an understanding. Are you the person that comes in there and you get it stirred up? People get undone because you've been around. What fruit are you producing? Kindness. Kindness. Opposite of that is being cruel and rude. Oh, sure, you could be kind to a stranger. But to your own kids? Well, you could just rip them apart with your words. To your own parents? This goodness. Goodness. Opposite of that is being somebody who's secretive. You're the kind of person that, um, that what comes out of your life, people say, you know what, this person's genuine. I can believe them. Are you the kind of person that, you know, you've got all these little secrets. And people can sense it. They can, they can smell it. Like, ah, this person's telling me this, but there's more going on here. I'm not sure I can really listen to them. This faithfulness. Are you the kind of person that can stick with it or are you a quitter? North Texas is full of quitters. Things get frustrating at work, I got to quit. Things get frustrating at home, I got to leave. Things get frustrating at church, oh, we got to pack up our Bible and go somewhere else. It says gentleness. The opposite of gentleness is being harsh and hard. Can you be the kind of person that can hand out mercy? Or do you just have to lay down the law with everybody? Finally, he says self-control. Are you ruled by your emotions? Your appetites, your instincts? Something comes fluttering your way and you just have to charge off and respond. Lose control. Lose control of your anger. Lose control of your spending. Lose control of your body and rage. That's not the fruit that comes forth from God. What are you and I producing? God has purposed your, yours and my salvation for more than just getting us into heaven. And he has purposed us that his character, his love, his heart for redemption can flow even further in this world. It means he wants to utilize each and every one of us as a leader. Leader in our homes. Leader in our places of work. Leaders in the church. You don't need a title or position. It'll happen. Because you just let God 
mold who you are and shape your character. You know, today might be a good day to, to just come honest and come away clean with God. As we've gone through just that list of verses in Galatians, you might be sitting there saying, you know, God, I haven't been loving. God, I haven't been patient. God, I have been the source of drama. God, I have lost control of things. Good news today is that doesn't have to define you. And the scripture says that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. You could do that today. You could start over today. And God can use you today for his purposes and his good. Pray. Father God, I thank you for the word that you've given us. God, I thank you that you have... Um, you have made a way for us not only to, to be forgiven and to have hope for a future and for heaven, but, but Father, you have made a way to restore and redeem us right where we are. And God, you don't call us to follow your son Jesus in a perfect way, without flaws, without mistakes, you just call us to follow in, in authentic, authentic honesty. God, I confess, I've been impatient. And I've said things that were not loving. Help me. To be more like your son Jesus. Father. In these next moments. May this room be filled with repentance. And filled with your forgiveness. And may we walk away from this place. Clean. And empowered. To serve you in our homes, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work. Father, this life is way too short for us to be content with average. Call us deeper. Mold our character so that we could be like Jesus. And Father God, may what you do in our life become so, so curious to others, so inviting. That they see past us and want to know you. Father, in these moments, have your way in our lives.
pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.